It is Thanksgiving week. And I am thinking about the way this week for many people is going to be a first Thanksgiving while they're also grieving. And it will be a first without their loved one. And while there are going to be some missing people and some grieving that they're gone, there will still be this prevailing attitude among God's people that we're thankful, that we've been blessed, that we have good reason to stop, even to set aside a whole day and say this day is to thank God for the good things that he has done. And other people may look in at that and not understand, but we do, don't we? As God's people, we're able to do that. We understand, like Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, that we do not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. That is a radical way to look at death, isn't it? To give thanks in all things. We can do that. We can and will do that. Thankfulness is just one of the characteristics that sets God's people apart from people who are not. And it should be one of the things that makes us different. Let me tell you why. When something good happens to an atheist, someone who doesn't acknowledge that God exists, something providential happens, a good medical report or a, a financial windfall or a beautiful sunrise comes and they look at that, what do they say? Who do they thank? How do they express gratitude? Or can a person in that position even really have gratitude as they should? It just doesn't make sense, does it, to say thanks to coincidence or to random circumstances. Thank my lucky stars. Is that the best you got? No wonder there is a war on the holiday that's focused on acknowledging and thanking God. We Christians know the joy of being thankful. We know who to thank, and we've got a number of ways we get to put that into action. And one of the ways, one of the best ones, I think, is through the songs of faith that we sing. We did it this morning. It's on purpose that we're going to finish this series about our singing today, right as we go into the season of Thanksgiving this Thursday, singing and giving thanks. Have you noticed it? Our brothers, they go together. James 5.13, James instructs the believers, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Maybe songs of praise like shout for joy to God, all the earth, sing to the glory of his name, give to him glorious praise. Last week we were zeroing in on how we sing together. And today I'd like to consider how our singing together is a way that we, as God's people, proclaim God's goodness to the world. One might even say this, our thankfulness to God expressed with sincere singing is a witness about God to those who hear it. That's what I'd like to get across this morning. Yes, the focus of our worship when we come together is God, and that should be obvious. In fact, if you leave church services on Sunday morning and you want to evaluate, well, how was that today? Start with the question, did it honor God? 
And then, did we consider each other as we did this together? And then somewhere in there is another question. Did our singing today invite someone who is an outsider to honor God? There's a part of our worship that also should consider the people who are with us who are not yet followers of Christ. Back in the book of Colossians, Paul writes to the believers, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Now, that is not about the schedule that we set for worship on Sunday morning, all right? Make the best use of time. All right, you were too late getting up on the stage. There went 30 seconds. I got to cut back now. Not that. But it is about the schedule that we have to reach people. It's about thinking about the people around us who don't know Jesus. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Paul taught the church in Corinth that their times together, the times that they were worshiping together, were supposed to have a certain amount of consideration for the people who were there with them who were not yet believers. Paul said, think about them. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, a good part of that chapter is about that. He gave them instructions about what to do when they're gathered together, specifically about speaking in tongues and prophesying and the impression that those things are going to make on an outsider who is there with them. In other words, what we do when we worship together should be done with some thought about the impression that it will make on others. I've got to conclude that if I'm going to be honest with Scripture. And that would include then what and how we sing here together on Sunday mornings. Singing together always is a glimpse of what we think of God. Always. Remember the Psalms. We've been going through those a lot, haven't we? Been talking about them a lot. In fact, it's been really neat to hear from people over these past weeks. I've just heard from various people how much they're enjoying spending some time in the Psalms, looking at the songs of God's people. The Psalms, remember, are the worship songs of the nation of Israel, and those were the worship songs of the church when it first began. So it's pretty significant when we read lyrics to those songs that talk about people from the outside and how we're supposed to think of them in our worship. Psalm 22, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations shall worship before you for kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. Psalm 96, oh sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth, sing to the Lord, bless his name, Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Psalm 72, may his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Psalm 117, praise the Lord. All nations extol him. All peoples for great is his steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Israel, as they read these, as they sang these, had some awareness that their singing was a witness about God to other people, the nations. And then when the church began, 
when the church picked up the Psalms, turn to the middle of your Bible and look at the Psalms. And when they did those, it was with a much greater and deeper appreciation. Every Psalm that wrote about and looked forward to Jesus was now an aha moment for the church. And all the references to God saving his people could now be opened up to non-Jews and to Jews alike. So these people who had just become Christians had a reset done to their worship songs. Listen how Luke describes that. Brian read just a little bit earlier about what it looked like in the early church. A little bit more, a little further on, a few more verses in Acts chapter 2, verse 46. Here's what they were doing. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So for some period of time there when the church had just begun, we don't know exactly how long, but for some period of time, the believers were gathering together where? in the temple. Not only in their homes, but they got together in the temple. The temple where everyone else in public there could see them and hear them. And for some period of time, it says, Luke records, they were enjoying the favor of all the people. And the very next line Luke writes is, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This group is already thousands large. And they are gathering together in this very public place, this very public group of Christ followers. These people who met in the temple and worshiped Jesus out loud, Luke says, were growing in number. Their worship, however it looked and sounded, was a witness to the people who saw them and heard them. I recently had something pointed out to me that I had never considered before. I want you to give it a couple minutes of thought along with me this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15. Probably not the first thing on your mind when you got up this morning. But there God gives this instruction to Israel. He says, a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. So when Jesus was on trial and false witnesses were brought forward and two witnesses didn't line up with each other, it didn't count. Only on the testimony of two or three witnesses would something hold water? The law said there had to be more than one witness. More than one person had to step forward and agree to something for it to be considered trustworthy. All right? Everyone got a grip on that? Got to have at least two witnesses. Jesus was speaking about prayer and about our agreement in prayer, especially. And he concludes it with words you've probably heard, Matthew 18, 20, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. All right? Now, under the Old Testament law, two or three people were gathered together in agreement. That was significant. That carried more weight than just one. And Jesus says that when we're gathered together, his people, 
more than just one, but two or three at least, that's significant. We bear witness together. When we are singing a song together, when we are singing those same words, those words that go up on the screen, and when we agree to those words and we sing them together, we are what as a group? We are bearing witness together. When we sing together, when we say those words and acknowledge them together, we are acknowledging something about our beliefs, that those beliefs are not just mine. That those truths come from someplace outside of me. And we, as a group, bear witness that these things are true. What I believe and what you believe isn't just some kind of individually strong feeling. This is not a solo act. When we sing that we believe that Jesus is God incarnate, that there is only one way to life and that that way is through the blood of Jesus Christ, we are agreeing that this truth came from God and we are agreeing that it is true. Do you realize that you were doing that when you sang that this morning? Two or three witnesses plus some. You were giving a testimony about God. See that? Just another glimpse of what we think about God. It's, it happens when we sing. So here's an important question. What kind of a witness was our singing today? You see, what we say and how we say it delivers a message from God. Was it a good message this morning? Well, first, it's got to be a good song, doesn't it? That's important. I am thankful. I'm going to stop here for a minute and just tell you, I am thankful for our worship leaders, these people that get up here. I am thankful for them. That's Nathaniel Bailey, and that's Beth Bailey, and Betsy Maceman, and Sarah Jackamu, and Laura Lommer. They are tasked with organizing and planning our worship in singing. And I am thankful for the sound technicians, and I am thankful for the musicians who are up here to help us sing. I am thankful for the people that help all of them help us. And on top of that, I am thankful this morning for good songwriters who over the centuries have applied themselves to setting to beautiful word and sounds the truths that we come together to sing. And I am thankful for those people who taught them sound theology so that their songs would be good songs that we could sing together. There are a lot of good people there who have built on the good work of a lot of other good people so that other people and you good people and me could sing good songs. And the rest is up to us. So once again, how are you doing at singing those good songs? Not, are you in tune, or do you sound like Michael Buble, but does it exude with thanks to the Lord, for he is good? Does it reveal that you have deep inside of you a conviction of the reality of the things that you are saying, of the truth of the gospel? Does it testify along with the others who are around you that you have real hope in Jesus? Is it a witness to the truth of scripture? How'd that go today? Or 
is a less than credible testimony. And there's one common complaint that gets leveled against the church more than any other complaint, and that is that the church is full of... See? Even you said that. In fact, this morning, uh, when I go to my disciple hour class from here and teach the ten most common objections to Christianity, today we are going to be studying the objection that the church is full of hypocrites. Hypocritical living is a damaging testimony against the Lord, isn't it? When you say you believe one thing but live another thing, people notice that. Could it be that if we don't pay attention to it, the way that we sing can be a damaging testimony? If it conveys a message that looks and sounds like, well, I don't really believe this, or I don't really want to do this, or this really doesn't matter to me, that's a bad witness. Last week I asked you to think about how every time you sing here, you are expressing something about what kind of a church you want to be. And I think that needs to be on our minds every time that we sing. And I want to add to that today. Not only do you and I get to say something about the kind of church you want to be, you are also expressing to anybody who would be visiting here, anybody who might somehow see or hear you, what kind of a church we are and what kind of a God we serve. How is our singing serving to be a good witness for the Lord's church? Because every time we sing, we give some kind of testimony about God. Amen. It's going to say something about what we think of God. And by the way, as I go around and look at people and shake hands, I've noticed a change in these past few weeks. A good change. All right, here's something else that it's going to do. Our singing, our radical song, conveys the radical message of the gospel. This idea of singing and of other people hearing it, that isn't so crazy. That's been happening for thousands of years. People have been singing and you've been singing in front of people on all kinds of occasions for a long time. So don't say, well, that's a radical idea that I would sing and someone might hear it. <laughs> you know, in the movie, the movie George of the Jungle came out 1997 highlight of that year all right we took our kids to go see george of the jungle in the theater at ohio and there was a special going on at the time i don't remember the exact details of it but i'll never forget the scene because if you sang the first couple lines of the george of the jungle song you got a discount on the ticket george 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 of the jungle strong as he can be right Oh, uh, 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 that one? Well, did we sing it? My family, right there in front of God and everybody? Two bucks or something a ticket? You bet we did. And just add to that the list of settings in my life and in yours where I've been willing to sing regardless of who might be listening. A lot of you have done that. Come on, you have. You do. When we get together and sing here, that's not so radical. Singing in front of people, that's not so crazy. People will be doing that at some bar tonight when it's karaoke time. See, what's radical is the message that we sing. 
The gospel has been a radical message from its very beginning. Jesus compared his arrival and the introduction of his kingdom, the new message of the gospel, to several things. He said it's like new wine that has to be put in new wineskins, otherwise it'll expand and old wineskins will just pop. It's like a patch that you put on a garment, but it's got to be pre-shrunk because you can't put a brand new patch on an old garment because when it shrinks, it'll tear it. Those two don't go together. He spoke of the whole Old Testament law being fulfilled by him. He said you have to die to live, that you have to become nothing to be great, that you've got to lose your life to find it, that you're blessed if you're persecuted, and you've got to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Set all that to music and you have some of the songs of God's people. Sometimes the songs that we sing are an invitation to think. Sometimes they're an invitation to be honest with ourselves. Sometimes they're an expression of some pretty big promises that we're making to God. Sometimes they're telling the gospel story, which by the way is no little subject. The songs that we sing have a radical message. That gospel, by the way, Paul said, is the power of salvation for those who believe. That gospel warns that everyone is lost, but it also promises that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. That gospel rejoices in our hope that we're going to live eternally in heaven one day, that we'll put on immortality. This December... A lot of people are going to hear and are even going to join in with us as we sing songs about the amazing arrival of Jesus to earth, God in the flesh. And once again, the message sung by a group of God's people is going to be heard. I'm always urging us to take advantage of the season while the rest of the world gives attention and even gives lip service to the birth of Jesus, people who don't know about or fully believe about it are going to sing about it. Consciously or unconsciously, words that speak about the deity of Jesus Christ. We'll be hearing those. Our song is a radical message. Our song is also a call to mission. I want to end with that point today. If you pay careful attention to many of the words that we sing, both old songs and newer songs, because there are good in both of those categories, you'll hear words that call for us to be the church on purpose. And that's one more reason for us to gather and to sing. Many of those songs remind us and the people who hear us about our mission. They urge us on to our mission. Those songs can inspire us. They can kick us in the pants when we need it. They can call us to get back on track. They can encourage us when we're down. A lot of people will remember back to a movie called Chariots of Fire, which recounted part of the life of the Scottish runner and athlete Eric Little, the Flying Scotsman, he was called. 
And not only was Little a respected athlete, he was also a man of deep faith in God. He had been born in China to parents who were serving there as missionaries, though he was a Scotsman, technically. And he trained for the 1924 Olympics. But before the Olympics, when he learned that the event that he was best at, the 100-meter dash, was going to have its final heats on Sundays, on a Sunday, he pulled out of it. He had a religious conviction, right or wrong, that that was not right to do on Sunday. So he pulled out and entered in, into a different event, the 400 meter, and then he ran the 400 meter and he set a world at Olympic record. That's what Chariots of Fire is especially about. That movie showed how Eric was a national hero back in Scotland, but what it didn't show was one year later, at his prime, Eric Little left to go be a missionary in China. I read several different accounts of the scene the day that he left at Waverley train station in Edinburgh, Scotland, and a couple of the details aren't sure, but a whole lot of them coincide to say this, that him being a hero in Scotland and going to China, hundreds of people gathered that day to give him a send-off and they were pressuring him to make some kind of an appropriate speech while he got ready to go. But apparently, rather than make a long speech, as he was getting into the train, he simply told the crowds, Christ for the world, for the world needs Christ. And then he led them in an Isaac Watts song based on Psalm 72. Jesus shall reign. Jesus shall reign wherever the sun does its successive journeys run. His kingdom stretch from shore to shore till moons shall wax and wane no more. He led him in a second verse and then train began to leave with him. And the crowd went ahead and finished the song. Little served the Lord in China until 1945 when he died of a brain tumor at age 43. He only came back to Scotland twice for a couple short furloughs during his years. And he was once asked if he had any regrets for his decision to leave the fame and the glory behind to serve on a mission field. He said this, it's natural for a chap to think over all that sometimes, but I'm glad I'm at the work I'm engaged in now. A fellow's life counts for far more at this than the other. One man with a burden for the lost and a desire to serve the Lord and with a song on his heart led people to sing as he left to serve. Our thankfulness to God, expressed with sincere singing, is a witness about God to those who hear it. So here is the wrap-up to this whole series Brothers and sisters, the world needs Jesus Christ. One of the ways that we share that message, one of the ways that we hold one another accountable to that message, one of the ways that we remind one another of our hope in Jesus, one of the ways that we stir up our concern for those who are still lost is to say it. Psalm 40, verse 3 says, He put a new song in my mouth. 
song of praise to our God, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Five weeks ago, we said that's what we would like to be the outcome of our singing, of our giving attention to our singing, that many will see and fear put their trust in the Lord. This morning, I hope that somebody who hasn't done that yet will take to heart the message of the gospel, will come to Jesus Christ on his terms, will give your life to him today. If that's you, you've heard the message. In a moment, we'll sing about it. We're going to keep singing about it as long as the Lord gives us time and breath. And my hope is that many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. If you need to make that decision today, please stop putting that off. You've got this moment, this opportunity, and we're uh, eager for that to happen today. Right now is a, is a sacred time. It's a time for prayer. It is a time for those of us who have already accepted Jesus to be praying that someone would make that choice today. And it is a time for us who have given our lives to him to re-examine ourselves and consider how are we doing at these things that we've looked at. Let's stand up together. Let's pray. And if you are someone who needs to make that choice today, starting right now, any time while we are singing up to the time that we dismiss from here today, I'll be down here and we want to visit with you about your relationship with the Lord. We want to help you with that. So please, just come down. It's, it's the time to do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, these weeks that we have given a special attention to your word and what it has to say, especially about our singing. Lord, whether our, our voices uh, sound great to ourselves or not, we want them to sound great to you. We want them to be the expression of what's truly deep inside of us. And today, Father, we want that to go beyond uh, not just what you hear, but what we say to each other as your word has told us and what the world sees in us. We want it to count for you. So, Lord, we trust you to give us exactly what we need to do what you want us to do. If that's in our singing, Lord, help us to do it well. Today, I pray that hearts are touched in such a way that they'll respond to you. With greater devotion, Lord, for those who are already uh, written in your book of life. And Lord, for those who are waiting to make that decision, I pray this will be the push, the day to make that choice and step forward for you. Use this time to your purposes, we pray in Jesus' name.